0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets they devour widows houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury many rich people put in large sums A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: In my office, hanging on the wall, is a framed photograph of an unknown woman and a small child sitting on a bus. Outside, the rain is falling. The woman stares blankly, perhaps despairingly, through a window holding her head in her hand. The child, unaware of his dire circumstances, bears the impossible expression of hope and innocence. The photograph was taken in December 1995, near the end of the Bosnia-Herzegovina War. And by then more than 100,000 people had been killed and 2.2 million people had been displaced, making it the most devastating conflict in Europe since the end of World War II. This woman and child in the photograph are fleeing the bloodshed. As they board that bus, they are leaving behind everything and becoming refugees. The photograph first appeared on the cover of the Los Angeles Times. And when I laid eyes on it one morning over coffee, just days before Christmas, what I saw were the faces of Mary and her child, Jesus. Forced to flee the violence of Herod's bloodshed, Mary and her baby also became refugees. And that photograph hangs on my office wall right at the door so that I see it every day. It's more than a salient photo for me It's my daily prayer. First, a prayer for today's 27 million refugees around the world who at this very moment are fleeing violence and death in search of sanctuary and the promise of life. But it's also a prayer that calls me to take daily inventory of my life. Every day that mother and her child are asking me to what are you clinging in this world? Of all that you possess, what could you live without? What could you leave behind? Just this week, St. Andrew welcomed a family that recently fled Afghanistan. Under the threat of death, they've left behind everything. And here, St. Andrew has committed resources to help them rebuild their lives in our community in the US. What about you? Now imagine just for a moment that you're about to become a refugee. Imagine that you have just 10 minutes to prepare for a journey into the unknown. You'll never return to where you are now. Trucks will arrive shortly to take you and your family to hopefully a safer place. But you can pack only a single bag for the journey Into that bag, you can pack only what you're able to carry by yourself. You'll have to leave behind then the the baby grand piano, the treadmill, the golf clubs, among other things. 10 minutes, three items, one bag. What would you pack? A family photo album, an heirloom, a guitar, a Swiss army knife, toothbrush, money. What would you pack? Of all the things we possess, all the stuff that fills our closets and garages and basements, we all probably have a few things we cannot imagine going without. But if we're honest, we all have a lot of things we can live without, even if we cannot imagine doing so. The secret to genuine happiness and genuine freedom in this life is knowing what we can live with and knowing what we cannot live without. And most of our unhappiness and anxiety in life comes from a misplaced dependence on things or people or even expected outcomes. If we don't know what we can live without, we're likely going to cling to anything and everything until the things that we own start to own us. And if we don't know what we can't live without, we'll never really know deep contentment and freedom from craving more. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story about a widow who knows what she can and can't live without. In the story, she does the most remarkable, unlikely thing. She walks into the crowded temple one day heads straight for the offering basket, and gives away her last two coins. For her, it seems, there is absolutely nothing that she cannot live without. She gives away everything she has. What makes this scene so astonishing is that she's standing in line with the rich and the self-righteous, the proud and the pious. She's standing somewhere between Jeff Bezos and Joel Osteen, and surrounded by affluence and celebrities, she's so small you can barely see her. She's so unimportant and unassuming, you'd almost miss her entirely. But Jesus does see her, and he wants us to see her too. In her curled fingers, she grips her last two coins. They're all she has left, and when they're gone, they're gone for good. As she waits in line to give her offering, head bowed, hands trembling, Jesus says to his disciples, watch what this extraordinary woman is about to do. That's when the widow steps forward and raises her frail hand over the treasury basket. She takes a deep breath, the kind of breath maybe that you take when you've made up your mind to do something and you're finally at peace with whatever comes next. She breathes deeply, and then she lets go. And as those coins fall through the air and land in the treasury, they barely make a sound. No one noticed it at all. Except Jesus. He can't take his eyes off of her. Did you see what she just did? Jesus asks. Look, I confess I I don't understand why she did it. I don't understand why Jesus thinks that what she did was a good thing. On a practical level, you could say it was just bad money management. When she enters the temple, she's poor. And when she leaves, she's actually flat broke. She seems to have no thought whatsoever about tomorrow, how she's going to get by, what she'll even eat. And what's worse, she gives her last two coins to an institution that Jesus himself says is being run by sharks and hypocrites who steal from the poor, hiding behind their empty piety and lofty prayers. Think about it. If your own aging, frail, poor mother emptied her bank account by calling that televangelist 1-800 number on the TV screen, wouldn't you absolutely lose your mind? But Jesus can't take his eyes off her. She gave with no thought to what others might think of her. She gave, as Jesus said, everything she had. Why? Why did she do it? And what will happen to her now that she's penniless? Where would she find her next meal? Who would look after her? In principle, She actually has nothing to worry about. Hebrew law gives her certain protections, a social safety net. It's in Scripture. Her community has a legal obligation to take care of her. You'll find the commandments in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the protection of the ger, or stranger, the yatam, the fatherless, and almanah, the widow. And Scripture prescribes tithes and free will offerings for this class of people. In Deuteronomy, God is described actually as the protector of the rights of these people. And in Deuteronomy, it also declares God a, a, a declares a curse against anyone who would ever subvert their legal rights. And so you could argue that giving away her last two coins wasn't much of a sacrifice at all. She'd be cared for. Somebody would look after her. And besides, you might also argue those coins, they were pretty worthless. According to the story, they were copper coins, the smallest coinage of that time. In fact, it took 64 copper coins to make one denarius, a day's wage, which was enough to live on for a day. In other words, the widow had only one thirty-second of what it took to live for a day. So then why did she give it? And why would Jesus commend her for giving it when it seemingly wouldn't cost her much of anything in the end and wouldn't add much of anything to the temple's bottom line? Well, practically speaking, it doesn't make much sense. But Jesus wasn't a champion of the practical. As the writer Annie Dillard once wrote, it doesn't matter a hoot what the mockingbird on the chimney is singing, the real and proper question is, why is it so beautiful? Jesus was always drawn to the beautiful. And what was so beautiful about this woman? It wasn't that she made a sacrifice with her two coins. It was that she made a declaration with them. In that offering, she declared that she would not be defined by or bound by or limited by her poverty, her social standing, by what she did or didn't possess in this world. In her offering, she declared her freedom. What little she did possess would never enslave her. And whatever she didn't possess, it would never constrain her. Or chain her. She was free to do what was beautiful and right and pleasing in the eyes of God. When all the rest of those hypocrites in the temple were held captive by what was respected and honored and pleasing in the eyes of others. A good friend of mine at a seminary was sent to a pastor, a small Spanish-speaking church mostly of migrant workers and farmers living on the U.S.-Mexico border. He'd been there for just a few weeks when he introduced the church's annual stewardship campaign. When he looked over the envelopes of the people who would be mailed a pledge card that day, he came across the name of an old widow as poor as anyone he'd ever known. He pulled her envelope from the stack and he put it into his desk drawer. He didn't want to ask her to make a pledge. She was so poor. He just didn't want to humiliate her. That woman waited and waited at her mailbox for that envelope to arrive. And when it never came, she finally called the church and she said, Pastor John, did you think that because I'm poor, I do not want to give? You don't understand. I am poor only if I cannot give. Today is Dedication Sunday, uh, but don't assume that I'm going to try to convince you to give more to the church. I just don't want to be that preacher. I know that there's a fine line between a long, drawn-out stewardship sermon and a hostage situation, so I won't do that to you. I want you simply to think about what it means to live a generous life. What's a generous life? What makes a a person generous and another person tight-fisted? Is a generous person someone who picks up the tab at dinner or someone who writes the big check to the homeless shelter or leaves a big bequest to the university? These are all generous acts, don't get me wrong, but they don't necessarily make for a generous life. The word generosity literally means of noble birth. Until around the 16th century, if you were a generous person, it meant that you belonged to the noble class. And while belonging to the noble class meant that you were certainly a person of wealth, what mattered more than your wealth was your freedom. To be of noble birth, that is to belong to the noble class, meant that you were a free person. It meant that you weren't a slave or a servant whose life or fate or was determined by, by class or caste or circumstances. So, So what does it mean to live a generous life? What does a generous person look like? It looks like someone who's free. So free from worrying about tomorrow that they can be fully present in the moment. So free from worrying about money that they can live a more open-handed life, so free from always trying to do the reasonable, practical thing that they can do the beautiful thing, like that widow who had so little but gave so much. The generous person believes that to be a child of God is to be of noble birth, free from worry, full of trust in God. This is the generous life. And it's why Jesus points to the widow in the temple and says, Watch her. Behold the beauty of a woman so free that she's bold to do the irrational, impossible thing, opening her hand and letting go of the very thing that would enslave her were she to try to hold on to it any longer. If you're like me, I imagine you want that kind of freedom in your life. But if you're like me, you struggle daily to find it. You're not so poor like the widow, but you still have mouths to feed, bills to pay, kids to get through college. You can't just open that hand and let it all go. You want to do the beautiful thing, but within reason, right? Can I tell you what this widow teaches me especially as it relates to money. What I've learned about money is that it can buy a lot of good things, food, clothes, cars, vacations, everything I need. Well, almost everything I need. And that's the problem, really. Almost everything. It can buy me a house, but it can't buy me a home it can buy me a nice watch, but it can't buy me time or eternity. My money, it can buy me a tree and a hammock, but it can't buy me rest under the shade of that tree. It can buy me a fancy Mont Blanc pen, but it can't buy me the words or the poetry, the prose to put on paper. It can buy me a swanky guitar, but it It can't buy me the chords, the melody, the song in my heart. These beautiful things, all of them, they come from a different source, a different place. Nothing, nothing that money can buy can compare to these things or compete with them or replace them. And the more I understand this, the freer I become. Like the widow who gives away her last two coins, there are moments when I can do that too. I can let go of a little more. I can invest in more transcendent, irreplaceable, beautiful things. I can be more generous, more noble, because I suddenly know the difference between what I can and cannot live without. Every year, pastors have to roll out this stewardship campaign. And when I do it here at St. Andrew, people always ask me, don't you hate asking for money? Can I tell you the truth? In 32 years of ministry, I have never once asked for money. And I will never ask you, how much are you going to give? Or can you give a little more? I'll never ask it. I will only ever ask you this. How free are you? I trust that you'll figure out the rest. Because if there's one thing this story about the widow tells us, it's really this, no one's watching. Whether you are rich or poor, no one is watching what you give. Well, except Jesus. That's what the story says. Jesus is watching, not because he wants to know how much money you're going to give. He's watching because he's wondering how free you'll choose to be. He's wondering how much beauty we'll invest in this world.
2: When my strength was all gone, when my heart I see my God he's been yeah wow. The many times I could not pray, still my God, he was faithful to me. The days I spent so selfishly reaching out for what pleased me. Even then, God was faithful.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.